You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. This is an episode of The Long Yak with Saya, Anisa, and Parma. Hello, listeners. I'm Parma. This Long Yak is the second part to the one we released in February. We occasionally do this when a recording gets too long and the second half can comfortably be a full-length episode on its own. Of course, the flip side is that between the releases, a full-blown anti-bullying movement can erupt in South Korea that makes us take a much deeper look at the problem of school violence and makes some of us deeply regret not giving the matter as much serious thought when these stories weren't directly in front of us. We covered a few dramas that deal directly with school violence in this episode, and had we recorded it more recently, the tone of our discussion would likely have been different. However, we want to always be honest with our listeners, which is why we are releasing this episode after some discussion. Before starting, we want to thank our listeners and our patrons for being the reason we keep on creating. Thank you for being here with us. And now, let's start this episode. everyone this is Saya. this is anisa and this is parma and welcome to another long yak cool yay <laughs> well i don't know why i always have to do that <laughs> i don't know I, I have to fill the silence i have a problem with like i just I, I feel uncomfortable i have to fill the silence so in fairness i think part of it is awkwardness in well <laughs> let's say none of us can act and we're like we just came back from bathroom breaks and <laughs> you listeners are getting this like three weeks afterwards but we have literally recorded them back to back so we're like so what's happened for you in the last 10 minutes <laughs> well i went to the bathroom took a walk filled up my water bottle <laughs> Are we telling yeah, them too my much? Dog. <laughs> yeah, we're not as excited to see each other as we were like two hours ago. <laughs> we're kind of tired. Let's keep this in. This is good. <laughs> they need to know our pain. Aren't they meant to believe that we magically achieve these episodes on a weekly basis by um, doing them weekly? Yes, uh, you got a glimpse behind the curtain. It's not as cute as K-drama BTS's. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so anyway, what we're going to talk about first... By the time they listen to this, right, we will be in the middle of Sisyphus and we very likely will have weekly blog post reviews, so make sure you read them. If we haven't done them, pretend you didn't hear this. Why, why are you committing to things in the future that we haven't done yet? Saya? I told Come them. On. What if you hate the first episode of Sisyphus? If we haven't done it, pretend you didn't hear it. I think that's a very good disclaimer. So anyway, we're recording this in February, like early February, so just keep that in mind. Um, so first we're going to talk about The Uncanny Counter, which I have sp- watched three episodes of. Saya has finished. And Borama, how many episodes have you Six watched? Six episodes. Six episodes. Okay. So I, if you don't mind, I'll just go first since I have very little to say because I barely watched any. Cool. I was kind of waiting to see because I heard about like the hullabaloo about the writer leaving and everything. So I was like, ooh. Do I want to watch this? And then Saya finished it and she was like, I was happy with the ending. And I was like, okay, I'm starting this. So me and my sister are watching it. It is quite dark and gory in the beginning. So that's not my usual fare. But I do like everything else about it. So I'm willing to like cover my eyes for those parts. I really love the this like group of misfits. I love the dynamics between the team. I love 
the actor, I think his name is Yu Byung-gu, but like he's always going to be Chucky Jun from Sky Castle <laughs> to me. I just really, really like him a lot. Um, he was my favorite out of the young cast in Sky Castle. So I love his best friends. They're so wholesome and cute. And they're like standing in for his dead parents. And it just makes me all emotional and weepy. Yeah. Not a huge fan of like the youth mafia or whatever that is. And that whole plot line. I had in my notes, Adong took book, which basically <laughs> means youth mafia. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I like it a lot. I like the world. The world is very interesting. I like the setup. It's very different. Yeah. Just the, the, the evil spirit stuff when they're like faces are changing is creeps me out but yeah i'm really enjoying it other than that that creeps you out it does it's it's almost funny <laughs> no i'm i'm like weak when it comes to that kind of stuff i don't i don't like scary stuff not a horror person fair enough why don't you do you go next and then oh you, yeah because you've watched more and i've finished it so i might as well not say anything just yet Pardon me? Mm. Sorry, oh. Did you hear what we said? Uh, you, you asked me to respond, which I totally will. Give me uh, two seconds. Okay, I'm done. Um, uh, I have to respond. To what Anissa just said. Right. You're right. The world building is really nicely done. I like that their magic has rules and they have constraints. And from pretty early on, they uh, start establishing ethical boundaries to what they are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And our young hero goes and smashes right against those boundaries yep. pretty early <laughs> on too so but because he's such a good-natured earnest boy his reasons are the right ones it, it's a it's a good uh model for this arc I, I i really like how his character is being developed and how um the higher beings and their rules are being established in this way i'm glad you mentioned that actually because that reminded me of some of the parts and this always annoys me in dramas always I want, I want to start by saying that I loved the drama like beginning to end I thought it was great however there's definitely plenty of points where I sat there thinking this is dumb while still enjoying <laughs> it <laughs> and um, also like I thought this would be like your kind of thing with your like you know superhero stuff that you enjoy <laughs> it's like I really like on a kind of a not in drama thing but an outside drama thing I like this foray into superhero drama that OCN is trying which is we talked about it in the what's up in drama land about how the format lends itself to like multiple seasons and things like that so if this is how it's all gonna look I'm I'm there but okay so the thing about the boundaries oh gosh this annoyed me so much in the beginning because what I really dislike that they often do with these sort of like otherworldly beings and things like that is that they reduce actions to like individual moments and, and like it strips them of their context. So like someone going and doing things like using violence, for example, or feeling murderous is like, <sighs> and what did you want him to do? Let people kill his friends. And that really annoyed me. Yeah. And that kept happening. But I can't spoil the rest. <laughs> we'll talk about the rest later. <laughs> and also, like, the thing with the demons and the evil spirits and things, how they don't have the boundaries. And I'm not saying that, you know, of course, like, part of what separates like, good from evil, for example, is that, you know, good works within boundaries. But also, I feel like it sort of takes away the grey areas in between, where sometimes you may be forced to choose lesser evils. And it didn't quite embrace that discussion. I'm sounding mm. really negative, And it's like, I'm here <laughs> saying I love this drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And I like 
to go back to, I mean, we talked about Luca in our previous yak. And at that point, um, I had only seen two episodes. But I think the one thing that disturbed me about it that I didn't get a chance to, like, I didn't remember to talk about is that the police brutality in Luca is like, whoa, like, without even a second thought, like, you don't know why like there's this place where they go into like they they raid Idahi's team in episode one and they're just like literally just like beating these people nearly to death and you're like you don't know what they did wrong you don't know why they're there are they bad like have they conclusively found out that something what is due process (laughs) but even if they are criminals like you're just like just beating on them like in a really upsetting way like that was uh that was uh so i feel like a lot of times dramas either go that direction where they're just like full-on police brutality with no commentary or they're like no in in no circumstances can you ever Mm. cross the line even when it seems justified i do appreciate a more nuanced you know exploration of that which Mm. i guess you're saying this doesn't quite do i will say yet it hasn't looked at that issue yet but to an extent, maybe because I'm pretty early on in the drama, I really like that one of the first boundaries that was set was when Somo nearly kills this one possessed dude. And Gamotak, he comes and stops someone and he's like, you can't kill him because number one, uh, the demon is just going to escape and, uh, you know, go into someone else. Number two. Two, um, you're going to go to jail. (laughs) You're going to murder a human being and go to jail. (laughs) That's not helpful. And I like that. There is is like real world human consequences for what he does. I enjoy that that like in crime dramas in general, that that's a distinction that they always make. I think part of it is that, of course, a drama is going to have to um, uphold the rule of law because it's a drama they have to be government approved and all of, or at least regulation board approved um, but the other part is that it does after all of these years it's one of those automatic messages that I now uh, my brain loads it before the drama starts which is that you cannot kill somebody because then you merely become a murderer as in you strip yourself of nuance once you cross that line and I just um, I find that the way that that theme is repeated across every drama is it's an interesting message but at the same time oftentimes the dramas will deal with when the justice system is failing that's when that message comes up but what can you do mm. uh, in that situation this is not at all in any way a legal drama but um i do like it yeah i think that question continuously comes up because we haven't really figured out what the answer to that question is in real societies either like as humans we haven't figured that out like how in this moment of the current like model of government and the current model of you know quote unquote liberal democratic justice that we kind of take as an as a universal standard in a lot of countries where we live like how do you deal with that dilemma that like ethical dilemma of like okay here's a justice system that's failing and somebody who needs to be punished but you can't do vigilantism because that's wrong unless you're a superhero but that's like it's not living in the real world, right? But when you're living in the real world, it is something that we haven't really quite figured out yet. You know, like we're we're wrestling with it. But you know, until K-dramas, I don't think I've ever come across that messaging in any kind of sort of anglophone. And if you think about, or if I think about what I've watched, they sort of, they tend to glorify vigilantism or they glorify uh, government authority one way or the other. Like brute force, like whoever is holding that, having the power is what gives you the authority to use it i feel like that's the messaging you tend that i 
have seen much more often in my pre-K drama life. I definitely think that K drama does a much better job of exploring it. I'm just saying, like, they also don't have the answer yet. Yeah, of course. Even though they're much closer to, yeah, even though they actually do explore it. Mm. And I think that maybe has something to do with, like, the very painful history of, like, large and traumatic events of police brutality in, like, in the modern history of Korea. So, like, for example, the Gwangju massacre, things like that. It's really still very present in people's Mm. minds. So I'm sure that influences, in some ways, the portrayals of police, even though there's still plenty of police brutality. But, like, I do think that that's a more nuanced, like, you know, especially when you contrast it to, like, American media where, like, the cop is always the good guy, or he's like a corrupt cop and every and the system is still good. You know what I mean? Like there hasn't really been a an exploration of like systemic corruption the way that I see over and over in K-dramas. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that, and this is a bit of a digression, is that while K-dramas are very willing to investigate um, certain nuances in the, their police, not so much in their army. <laughs> the army mm. is only good. <laughs> they are really good-hearted old boys. And if somebody runs away, they end up either coming back because people convince them that that's the right thing to do or they end up committing massacres because they're awful people and the army is flawless so there is also that aspect to it i think there's a much probably a much stronger governing hand in how you can portray particular institutions like the military i suspect so especially because because they have things like active military service and all of those things you yeah mandatory military service yeah Hmm. and i mean even here where we don't have mandatory military service, the narrative about the military is very one-sided mm-hmm. and very uh, top-down and flat. And that's deliberate. Usually yes. these, it, it's deliberate and also these scripts, and it doesn't matter which country you're in, they always go through, uh, there is a, a wing of the army that usually approves these scripts yep. and you can only portray it. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to portray the army, you have to get it approved by the army. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, no matter where you live, it's the same. So that's the military industrial <laughs> complex. Okay. That was deeper than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I've just been thinking a lot about this lately. I wanted to ask you, Anissa, about your thoughts on how they have portrayed Somun's disability and later ability. Uh, the ableism in this is... <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah, I... Uh... Like how good, how bad? I mean, I've only watched three episodes... I was happy to see a disabled hero and I was dismayed at how quickly he became a superhero with a, like, not only was he, I mean, it's the same thing that we've talked about so many times before, right? The superpowered hero, yeah. Yeah, you you not only are no longer disabled, but now you're like extra powerful and you're better than everybody else. And I don't know. And like, you can only defend your friend now that you're, that you're able-bodied. Because yeah. previously you were powerless because you no, were disabled. No, 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 though, though. I do feel like... Go ahead, Saya. He's physically capable of defending them now, but he defended them even before he was. Yes, but that is what really ends up mattering, right? He makes a difference once he's physically able to defend. When he stood up for his friend before, he couldn't make a difference. Instead, he had his friend get even more beaten up. So it's... Well, I do feel when it comes to that dynamic, I do feel that A, I just don't find the whole youth mafia storyline convincing. Like, 
like who are these people like what <laughs> why do they have so much power like what what is happening here but anyway like Rick, apart from that like i do see that they're trying to t- say something about how you know like about how people with disabilities can be victimized because they're you know they do they are marginalized and like it is important narrative to have on tv especially in a society where like there aren't really a lot of institutionalized protections for disabled people but on the other hand i do feel sad that he he's completely left that behind and like even though that scene on the roof with his friends which i won't go into detail because it's a really moving scene like it did make me feel you know like feel so squishy inside and I was so like it was very emotional and like I do I do feel two ways about that because there's nothing romantic about having a disability you know like maybe this is getting too deep but like I don't want to say that like it's wrong to want to be like free of pain and be able to to use your body and um in a way that will allow you to do more because it is hard to not to be able to do things that everyone else can do, especially, you know, as a kid, as a teenager. And I've experienced that. So like, on one hand, it is a very happy moment when he does that, because there is an element of like, oh, I've been suffering for so long, and now I'm not suffering. But at the same time, what the larger narrative is saying is a little bit demoralizing, because it's like, like what you said for him about how he can't be a hero unless he has been like you know healed so i don't know i this is too i don't know sorry i feel like i'm not explaining my feelings but that's because i don't even really know fully what my feelings are no but it is a a confusing tangle because again i really like this drama i i honestly don't think that it's it's problematic it's simply that this is how we tend to see able bodies and disabled bodies and and just how the dynamic plays out this is a very standard heroic trope. I I yeah. don't have anything against the story for using it, but I just think that taking a minute to acknowledge that it does that is all we can do at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. Keep watching. Okay. Mm, okay. okay. That, that makes me hopeful. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, for either of you at this point, but I'm really curious about what you would think by the end of it. Because okay. there were points where it was just like, even if it doesn't do it all perfectly, I think it really tries. And there are some lines there that I'm just like, thank God I heard this in a drama. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, that that's that's good. And like I sat there and I wrote it down and I was like, Ooh. <laughs> like just Aww. like crying because it's like, I never knew I would hear this line in a drama. And even if it doesn't sort of come out like as endgame, you said the word. And that really, that's like, you know, it's a watershed moment, I felt. Okay. And that's important, right? Because like, we we can't expect every story to do everything. Mm -hmm. It's more about the larger drama landscape and like trends anyway. So. And that's why it feels like between Uncanny Counter and the next drama that we're going to talk about, which is Run On, I feel like both of them have been doing such interesting things in subverting not just story tropes but sort of social uh what's the word like social beliefs and like unchallenged societal values about things like beauty or relationships 
how we should interact with each other. You know, all of those things that are such sort of deeply held realities, deeply and like stiffly held, if that makes sense. Like they're very structurally embedded into mm. people's consciousnesses in ways that they never think about challenging. They never think, oh, perhaps the way I think about something is wrong. But then you have like, I mean, this is sort of the power of story, isn't it? That they push people to think about things in a different way, to uh, look at something from a different perspective, to you know bring people's inner thoughts out into the open and it's one of the things I think that you two I think appreciated much more than I am currently in run on because as much as I am enjoying it I feel like I because I I can't match your level of love I feel like I'm not enjoying it which isn't true because I am oh yeah (laughs) there's no required level of love but you know when you feel like everyone is watching something and they're like oh it's so good and I'm like yeah but (laughs) you know i felt like that when everyone was raving about forest of secrets which i finally watched right um but yeah i feel like i'm missing something here but then i also as i was writing the notes for this i realized like what it was so i'm gonna let you guys start with ranon yeah no i mean i think whatever reaction you have to it is totally legitimate i also feel like where i'm coming to this drama from is very personal so i can't expect anyone else to not come. I mean, we all come with our own personal baggage. And so I think one of the reasons I really love this one is because of my own personal baggage. And that's totally, that's fine. That's how we watch dramas. So yeah, I just, I finished it a couple days ago. I loved it so much from like literally from like episode one. I think I loved it. It's just so... I mean, we talked a lot about the things that we loved about it in our little yak, so I'm not going to like rehash those ad infinitum, but just the way they, the the writer created these four leads, how unusual they are as drama leads, how honest they are about like, and I think like that episode 16 really drove home how much this drama was all about communication. Like it was pretty obvious throughout, but then I think it becomes explicit in the last episode. And I really think that's one of the things I appreciated most about this. Like I loved the the humor was really weird and wacky and hilarious. And the, you know, the characters were really interesting and it had all these like nerdy movie references that I loved. And um, the dialogue was excellent, but really what, at the heart of it, I love the most was just about how throughout the drama, there's just like all these people are just like struggling to communicate with each other. And some of them are not even willing to put in the effort. And some of them are willing to put in the effort, but they're struggling. And others are like, you know, like it's just it's all that naughty, thorny stuff that real relationships are made out of that usually most dramas just kind of smooth over and don't address. So I really, really loved that. Like it really goes there. Like it ha- like these characters have conversations that I've never seen people have conversations like before in a in a k-drama and not just about romance but about family and about work and about friendship and about power and the artistic struggle and just all these different things so i really really appreciated that im shiwan and jin sekyung were amazing this is suyoung's best role like dana was just my favorite i loved her so much I loved how the second couple, the secondary couple was basically a table and a candy, except she was the table and he was the candy. <laughs> um, and everything about their relationship was perfect, including the ending. So yeah, I, that's all I'm going to say because we're going to do a spoiler act on this. But um, that's it. I loved it. I want to hear your thoughts. I think we can do like a mic drop right now and walk away because I, I don't know what to add. <laughs> do you agree that. with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Every single point. It's uh, what really 
really worked for me in run on is how awkward and how slow and i don't know how many synonyms i can use on this like unsmooth the progression of each relationship was whether it be between friends or, or between colleagues or family and of course our primary relationship between uh, sangyum and uh, miju especially between sangyum and miju because i don't know why but imshuan chose to play sangyum as this really Ah, very socially awkward and inward looking guy who isn't very sure of what is expected of him outside certain categories of relationships and in uh building his romantic relationship with Miju he starts learning about um cues of behavior that he doesn't seem to have had exposure to before and i found that really interesting because usually it's not just korean dramas in any media that you uh, watch if you have a hero who is somewhat um how do you how do you say this neuroatypical that neurodivergent it's not it's either a clinically diagnosed thing or something that is completely magical and can be like like an idiot savant type of thing or like a sherlock holmes type of thing it's like either completely inexplicable or something that it's like a a clinical diagnosis there are there are plenty of things that are just there are some people who are just really socially awkward because maybe the way they have been brought up and sunkyum's upbringing was kind of really really bad despite all the privileges and the riches he had a pretty crappy upbringing and th- the way he coped with everything was like putting all of himself into his uh, sport and after that was taken from him i i liked how he didn't find like his exit from his sport took a long time in the drama and then him finding something else that really worked for him also took a long time and it felt realistic and earned that entire journey anyway sunghyum's character really worked for me i i felt really awkward with him initially but by uh, like i'm almost at the end of run on and i really like how he was portrayed yeah. and his relationship with miju my god miju is just i i don't even have words anisa said all of them she is so she is so everything she's so so much someone i would aspire to be like and she's also already so much someone i am already yes. right now oh my god her like nighttime work <laughs> schedule where she like works all night and then she looks and she's like oh it's 6am dang it and then she's like blending her meals i should have dinner now <laughs> yeah oh. also while i was watching this i was doing a pretty horrendous subtitling assignment and i was literally using the same program you know with like the sound waves in one corner and the video in one corner and this and i was like oh god this is too real yeah. but i don't have a sunkim <laughs> to make my life better. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Parma. The the characters were just incredible. And yeah, Dana, she's just stand out, man. I don't know how that relationship ends, but uh not gonna uh, get into that much, but I really liked how uh it started. I like who she is and how she just doesn't actually change much throughout. Like she she becomes she start she learns how to be friends with let's say Miju but she's already a very self-possessed young woman it's not like she needs to become better at anything it's just that she learns to allow people to get a bit closer to her and i really like that about tana 
and i just like that some things just don't make sense to her like certain types of diplomacy just don't make sense to her and she's like but why why can't i do this i why? love her sharp edges and her unapologetic like this is who i am and i'm fabulous deal with it you know like uh, yeah and all the little yeah. side all the side characters all the like combinations of different characters coming together and you being like wow i really wanted this i didn't know how much i wanted this this is great so yeah Let's let Saya go now. I feel like she's been holding herself back. <laughs> Saya feels bad. No, we want Saya's <laughs> no, honest no, opinion. Go ahead. We do. Saya doesn't like giving opinions that are so against <laughs> the general flow that she's kind of like convinced she's doing something wrong. <laughs> no, come on. How, how often have I rained on your parade? Oh, no, go that's... On. Yeah, I mean, okay. So as individuals, these characters are great. And... I think Sungyeom is a great character, and all of them are great characters. But I also feel like this show is really giving me record of youth flashbacks in a not good way. <laughs> and like Borma, you lured me into watching this drama to begin with by saying it's a lot like Temperature of Love, and I was like, oh, okay. And and you're right, it was. But it's also a lot like Record of Youth, which is <laughs> not so okay and i know both of you are internally heavily disagreeing right now but like <laughs> so what separates for me record of youth from temperature of love it's separated in many ways but in the way that's salient right now is that part of it is in the delivery of the dialogue like all the lines are perfect the characters are perfect everything is you know it's like perfect but they just do it a little too fast to feel genuine like, you need time to hear someone say something and then your brain needs time to, like, come up with the response to that. Just, like, a couple of milliseconds more between some of those lines would make it feel more like it's a real conversation and less like a... What do you call that in tennis? I can't English anymore. Volley? I was thinking I was thinking volley, but I'm not sure that's the actual word I'm looking for. But, yeah, there's a word. So there's these points where they're, they're having these conversations and I feel like there's a part of me that doesn't believe them. And if I feel like I don't believe it, then it loses its power over my emotions. So, okay, all of that aside, <laughs> the other thing that I'm going to sort of bring an opposite argument to Boromir's, which is that you were saying that you like to just have Sungyum's character just being who he is without putting a label on it, which is great. You know, on a different day, I might say the same thing. But I also feel like, particularly with like ASD, like autism spectrum disorder, it just doesn't ever get the label. And because so much of real life ASD is undiagnosed, you know, you have people who live their whole lives and they only find out that they are on the spectrum because they've, you know, their kids have a, a more severe expression of it. And so this is actually much more common than people think it is because it sort of gets clinically passed over. And often, t you know, it is a spectrum, so it might be subclinical. So there's no, you know, there's not necessarily a medical element to the whole thing or a psychological a therapeutic element to anything. With Sungyeom, I feel like he presents as this almost autistic, if not actually autistic person. And so he shows very little on the surface. He's very literal. He also has these really good one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been taking notes of the funny ones. Like, oh, one of them was like, oh, they even sent me clothes in case I was going naked. That was, that made me laugh. So <laughs> there's all of that. But part of that is why, like, Miju, the way Miju interacts with him in conflict points. And I'm at, like, episode seven or eight by now. And I've gotten to that point where I feel a little bit triggered by her. <laughs> 
because she's like she wants something from him but she doesn't tell him what it is or she doesn't tell him what it is in a way that he understands i also don't understand so that's <laughs> no it, you're laughing but it's like this no, is no, real this it's happens painful. and it's so like it's hard to do social things with people you mm. don't like but when you have it with people you like and especially when you put your cards on the table and i feel like and sungyum hasn't put his cards on the table here but then also i don't think he has that he can't communicate with himself and that's something that the drama hasn't like understood about his character at this point at least so yeah i, I agree that it's deeply about communication but he's so deficient in the tools of communication not just with other people but also with himself i do want to hear more of your i understand what you're saying i do think that there's times the drama kind of swings back and forth between like kind of who's quote-unquote like doing more work and there are times when he's working really hard and she doesn't really seem to be getting that. There's also times where she is working really hard and he doesn't really seem to be responding. Obviously, I don't have the perspective of, you know, what his experience would be like, but it is imbalanced in different directions at different parts of their relationship. So I found that to be quite realistic in the sense that you're not always going to be totally equal, you know, like in any relationship, everyone's not always going to be do the, doing the same amount of work. Like sometimes some people are trying harder and sometimes others are trying harder, but as long as it's like, in the end, everyone's kind of doing their bit, you know, like it kind of balances out, it's okay. Um, I really want to know what you think about this like particular interaction they have in episode nine, but obviously you're not there yet. So yeah, I, I would love to hear what you think. Like, I hope you finish it and then you you can, you know. I think I'm, I'm at this point where the angst is start, like relationship angst is starting and I hate relationship angst anyway. It's like, it's that part that's, everyone is like loving it and I'm just so stressed out by it. So <laughs> I'm at that part where it's really stressing me out and it feels like, like one of the things that I loved about Temperature of Love is how the two, uh, the leads, they it was also about communication and it was also about me meeting in the middle. So there was always that element of they would go to each other and that no matter what happened, they always managed to meet in the middle. And at this point in Run On, I feel like, the, uh, you know, the burden of meeting in the middle and, and a middle which seems like it's closer to Miju than it is to Sungyum right now, it feels like it's all on him. But I, I do get you that I haven't watched the whole drama, obviously. And so, of course, it will oscillate between them. It's just that point where I feel really stressed out by it. So imagine how I'm going to take things like episode 8 stress and episode 12 stress and <sighs> yeah but I really loved Tana I was so surprised to hear that people were like hating on her character who was hating on her no I didn't see anyone hating on her yeah, I've who? read it in several what? places where people were like you know they don't like her because she's too prickly and too hostile and I'm like are you kidding Tana was the first character that I was like this is my girl. Yeah, she's great. I, yeah, I've only seen praise for her, so I'm not sure. I don't think that's... I think that's a very minority opinion. Oh, then I've been reading the wrong comments. <laughs> Maybe I should do what Borma is doing and go hang out on Reddit for the rest of my life. <laughs> Which is literally what will happen. I'll go to Reddit and that'll be it. It'll be like, you know, 2077 and... Be like, Saya, what happened? <laughs> Where did you go? <laughs> I've been Reddit. <laughs> okay, but uh, so going back to what you were saying, uh, I had uh, two thoughts while you were speaking. The first is that there is this aspect of Sungyum that I don't quite understand, but it kind of makes sense when you put it that way. It's that he's very eloquent when uh, standing up to his father. 
and he's very comfortable with Dana. Not at all eloquent or comfortable with almost any other character, including his mom, whom he has not spent much time with. It seems that uh, Sungyum is comfortable standing up to his dad or speaking really comfortably to his sister, for that matter, because he has done this over and over again, at least in his head. He's gone through all of this stuff. He's thought about this over. He's a character who thinks about something for a very long time before doing it, and then he does it. And you can see that in the decision he takes with the whole bullying uh, thing. He observes the situation for a really long time before doing something about it. And then once he starts, he doesn't stop. And he keeps the emotions at arm's length, which helps. Yeah, he absolutely does. Even when he's dealing with his father and he's utterly frustrated and there is some emotion does seep out, it's nowhere near the level uh, of frustration that I would be showing at that point. There would be things yeah. flying <laughs> in there. But so... That's the first point. The other point is that you're right. And this I hadn't thought about this, but this did actually bother me subconsciously. Is that when Mijo is talking to her roommate about the struggle she's having communicating with Songyum, it's never even brought up or considered that Songyum might be neurodivergent, that she might be dealing with someone who might not be capable of um and not capable as in like she asks like uh, she asks her somebody uh, do you think he would ever understand do you think this will ever change but it's not it's said in a way as if like he has the ability to change and that is accepted it was it's not really brought up anywhere in the drama that he might actually and it's a weird it's a weird like omission in a drama that's so aware of so many other things and that brings up so many other things that don't normally get talked about so yeah yeah that's a good point like she could have even if they decided to keep it kind of ambiguous or like undiagnosed and i mean she does kind of acknowledge later on that he in various ways that he like sees the world differently but that aspect is never even something that's like considered and that would probably have been better if they had you know written that into the script though i also think that that might be a consequence of like not being conversant in the the area of st in general that i mean we're asking a lot from our dramas aren't we yeah no and also if you think about it like the level of um sort of psycho i guess what would you even call it like pop psychology <laughs> like the the level of psycho like psychological sort of terms and sort of concepts that have come into common language in english and like anglophone societies i don't get the sense that it's that at that level in Korean society just because there is such a huge stigma around psychological care and like it's getting better but I do think that there's quite a ways that people still need to go to be able to like comfortably talk about it and you know and I have been happy to see like people getting therapy in dramas and people recommending therapy like in True Beauty there's one part where like Hwang and Yup I think Sojun tells Suho's dad he's like your kid your son like needs therapy or like or maybe the doctor tells him he needs therapy but I'm like yes please go to therapy (laughs) yeah it's like depression as an illness has um attained cultural credibility or social credibility it's a thing people recognize as real I think neurodiversity might be sort of a little bit further up Mm. the ladder for that so it's coming it's a start (laughs) to have characters like that and actually we've had characters like that for a long time so it's not that people don't recognize these personality traits or these character traits they just don't know that it's a satellite of traits and (laughs) 
that it's down to brain wiring and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And also, like like everything else, it's about who's behind yeah. the camera, right? So if you, mm. if you're, like, every society is, is ableist, right? So, like, it always marginalizes people who are who are different and who don't fit into the mold of like quote unquote normal. So I think it's like And who are the storytellers? Like, you know, they are autistic people. Exactly. So if you have if you don't have people who are telling the stories who have had those experiences, like there's even no matter how mm-hmm. sympathetic or how educated you are, you're never gonna be able to like authentically portray that experience in the writing. So yeah. I just have one thing to say to what Boromir said about uh, Sungyum's interactions with his dad and sister versus his interactions with others. I feel like in his interactions with people like Miju, for example, is that they require him to be primarily emotional. And that perhaps is why it's much more challenging. Like, for example, his relationships with his fellow athletes, with his parents, with his sister, they are based on different things you might say oh with his sister that'd be primarily emotional it's not they have a shared family history and like their history forms their relationship and the ways that they've always interacted with each other they don't sit there talking about their emotions and you can see that in their interactions even if they have a loyalty and love for each other it doesn't come out in the ways that you might see in other affectionate siblings Mm. But his relationship with Miju is like exclusively and primarily emotional. And that is a big shift from mm. the other he has to do. So that's interesting. Okay, I've now gained more appreciation for the drama and I will go back to yeah. enjoy it <laughs> once I get past <laughs> the stress level. And if this is a, like, I don't think this is spoilery that like Miju does learn to recognize his emotions better with more time and she under- starts to understand him more and more. And she does, I do think that she puts in more effort as time goes on. But I, I might be like seeing it from my own biased perspective. So I, I want to hear what you think once you finish it. Also, the angst is always leavened by a huge amount of hilarious hijinks. So don't be scared of the angst. There's so yeah. much funny stuff. I'm Even really in like episode 12 and 13, there's so <laughs> much funny things. And um, it doesn't go down like the typical roots. Like there's no noble idiocy. Yeah, they don't They don't follow Not that format. I, I really appreciate that. If you don't have to worry about the 8 and 12 angst rights. It, it, it yeah. doesn't follow that format. I, I feel like I've been saying that I'm not enjoying it I am enjoying it I'm just not feeling urgency (laughs) to carry on and I'm not feeling that sort of desperate love that I have for other dramas so that's I'm definitely watching it I'm not stopping it I should say inshallah (laughs) (laughs) okay we have one drama left and it is take it away it is uh, one that uh, i think ended like uh, a while back it just took a while to find uh, for vicky to finish subbing the last few episodes so i just kind of just you mean hung the poor unpaid waiting. volunteers yeah those those poor unpaid volunteers <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, they they finished episode six and it's like an eight episode uh, drama. And the last two episodes just stayed unsubbed for weeks. <laughs> I don't know why. They were obviously uninspired. Oh no, that's so <laughs> So uh, I, it, might, it might be a case that there weren't enough people watching. Um, and I, uh, so here's the thing. I didn't know most of these characters, uh, sorry, actors going in. I recognize one of the secondary uh, actors from uh, When the Weather is Fine. That was, uh, if you remember, the girl E.J. Wook's character had a crush on 
from mm-hmm. uh, school. Yeah. So it was played by this actress, uh, Ji Soo Hyun. And mark my words, if she sticks in this industry, she's going to do well. She just is one of those actors. And yeah, honestly, that's she's the only one I I, I took away anything uh, for from this drama. It it started off pretty well. I like that they uh, set this up primarily in the world of young adults. The parents are mostly absent from the story, unless they are there to be like negligent or villainous. <laughs> And uh, so, the, but the young adults were actually like normal young adults. Like they have this broadcast club and uh, they kind of record their radio spots. And it's it's very much like how I remember high school clubs being, except that, of course, it doesn't stay a normal high school club. It becomes a place of mysteries and uh, backstabbing. <laughs> Secret romances and stuff. Um, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we were talking about this on the WhatsApp and Drama Land? We were like, this sounds like a light and heartwarming watch. <laughs> so it, it technically is a light and heartwarming uh, watch. I really, it's kind of, um, it's it's a bit more ensemble. The other characters have their own plot lines and stuff and I quite liked it. The thing that I took away most from this is not really the main story because the main story was... I'll come back to it. The thing that I took away from this was Jisoo Hyun's character. So she started off as, you know, the typical second lead, but she's not, is, is what I'm trying to say. She starts off as a male lead's uh, friend in the broadcasting club. They kind of run it together. And she is set up in a way that she could probably be the rival of the female lead. But no, they, they have a history together. They used to be good friends, but they had a falling out. And the her entire arc is Baekhorang and uh, Ji So Hyun. I'm sorry, the actress isn't Ji So Hyun. That's the character. The actress's name is uh, Young Heiji. And so you have Baekhorang and So Hyun resolving their misunderstanding over the eight episodes. That's what it was. And that actually had way more intense chemistry than the main romantic pair. <laughs> but I really liked the way they depicted this girl because so Young Heiji's character. So Hyun, she has a lot of male school friends or, you know, intuitions and stuff like that. And she's always been kind of demonized in class because of it. Like, how can you possibly have male friends? You must be, I don't know, sleeping around with all of them. It, it's the kind of general bitchiness that happens sometimes, like especially. No, they're 18. Oh, but, okay. you know, like, it, it's the kind of rumor mongering. And she's the kind of character who doesn't address those rumors. She'll just pretend it doesn't happen and kind of like be nice to everyone. But she is kind of holds herself a bit above it all. And that kind of stuff can really crush a character. But I really like her depiction here where she could not be bothered to give the time of the day to people like that. And her core group of friends are really great and uh, see her for who she is and don't like misjudge her or believe the rumors and stuff like that. I just really liked her overall character and arc, but I spoke not at all about the drama. Um, So the drama is basically about this girl who is uh, really famous on social media for uploading pictures of her face. And um, literally that's all she does. And sometimes she takes pictures of like the window why is she so popular I, have you heard of instagram uh, people in social media have to work <laughs> no but that's exactly it i don't know any instagrammer who doesn't work their ass off to just like keep their the audience entertained this girl just takes pictures of her face <laughs> anyway um and she gets sponsorship spots and stuff like that she's very popular all over the school uh, everybody knows her but she's all like i 
cannot be bothered to talk to you people because I'm Pekorang. And then the broadcasting club requires an announcer. So they try to recruit her. And initially she's like, no. And then she's like, yes, because she has an ulterior motive, which I will not go to because it's a spoiler in case you care. Yeah, that's it. Oh, there is a bullying angle to this entire thing, but it's super overly dramatized. And I, I know that bullying is a real problem in, in South Korea. It's depicted over and over again in high school dramas. But the way they do it here is just so odd. Like, uh, you have this character who's been bullied, but she's willing to be... Uh, so so uh, it, there, uh, there comes a situation where one of the bullies uh, kind of accuses her of uh, having committed school violence, whereas she was actually the victim of school violence and she just goes along with it because it's better to be seen as the bully than the victim and I don't know if that's like a real cultural belief uh, not a cultural belief but like you know a belief that a certain type yeah, because of person a bully is strong and a victim is weak and victim blaming right. don't forget it's but your then... fault for being a victim it's because you're morally deficient and all of those fair, things fair enough but the entire school hates her she's literally getting called for like violence committees and stuff and her friends are like what the heck did you actually beat someone up and she's still not telling them anything Uh, it just went into a really dramatic (laughs) however if that angle aside it was kind of cute to watch especially the secondary there is a secondary couple who just date they break up they date again and it's super cute their entire story is super super cute part of me just watched it for (laughs) their arc (laughs) There's a tertiary pair as well. But anyway, it's all, the entire setup is cute. Everybody's cute. The bullying angle was a bit odd. And yeah, that's it. That's that's my entire review. So do you recommend it? Yeah, actually, it's, it's not a bad watch. It's, it's a light watch. You don't need to use your brain cells too much. And it's eight episodes. They milk the mystery a bit too long. But aside from that, it's actually quite cute. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have inspired literally nobody to watch this drama. I know that. Yeah, I was fully expecting your answer to be no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, actually, she said yes. Huh. Maybe I should reconsider that. I've watched. Because I finished watching it. Like, you guys know me. Like, if, if I'm bored, I can't get yeah. beyond a couple of episodes. So it wasn't boring. I just, at the end of the day, I can't really think of, like, in the main character's arc. I can't talk about that with any kind of enthusiasm. It was just Mm. weird. I actually watched uh, half of the first episode and then I forgot about it. So (laughs) I see I haven't really missed anything. I also feel like um, once a drama is finished, it requires an even greater level of enthusiasm for me to like go back and pick it up than it does for something new that's coming out. And so once it's finished, unless someone's like, oh, this was really, really good. I'm not probably going to pick it up whereas if it was currently airing and I was like huh let me watch this I might watch the whole thing it hasn't ended yet it it might be amazing by the end nobody knows there's still like a there's an opportunity for improvement that kind of goes away once it ends there's a mystery to it Exactly. I I would like to mention just one thing before we wrap this up. And that is the male lead. uh, The character's name was Goyun Tuk and Goyun Tuk. And uh, the actor was Huang Minyun um, from he's a he used to be a member of 101. And he's he's not bad. 
I I quite liked him as a very like time bound. Like he's actually diagnosed as OCD. He will mark the seconds that you're late to his meetings and stuff like that. He's very organized throughout the day and all of those things. But it's um it's a pretty simple character to play, but he does it pretty well. So I I enjoyed his performance. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mm. I I did not I did not mean to make it sound so. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Maybe our energy is just yeah. depleted at this point, and all of our yeah. uh, positivity is coming out as negativity <laughs> but negativity. actually it's positive <laughs> positivity can't speak anymore either okay. it's late at night for Poroma, so i understand if you're if you're not quite that peppy right now i guess it's a good time to roll on to the end okay so time for the joke what can you break even if you never pick it up or touch it i promise ah, you got it right away oh damn good job Wh- which one whoo saya what oh. did you say Poroma? A heart. heart. I thought hers was the That's right a answer. answer. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> what the heck, Riddle website? We're good at this today, Parma. High five. <laughs> so this is what happens when I get these from the internet and not from Zade, because Zades are much better. You, sh- you should never I need be to, asked yeah, I need to ask him the next No, part. I like getting them right. <laughs> I feel no sense of achievement and accomplishment. Carry on. Yeah, so either you can get the answers right or we can have extremely hard ones for my nephew. <laughs> all right. Let's mix it That's up. That's all for this yak. Oh, what? wait, do we I not have another? Two. Two. Two, two jokes? I was looking forward to, yeah? Yeah, you said there were two. Oh, oh, okay, 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 sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Everyone was tired. I was like, let's just do one. Okay. No, I was ready. Okay. This one's pretty easy too, but what is always in front of you but can't be seen? Mirror. No. Oh, the- always. Shut No. The day? My nose? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you technically see your nose? Can I? I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of split in two Small. when I look at it. <laughs> it's not visible. Say it again. My what lips. is always in front of you but can't be seen? Light? You can see light. There's some quantum physicist somewhere saying something <laughs> that I'm not smart enough to report. <laughs> well, there's no quantum physicist here, so their opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you give up? Future. Future. Oh, yes. Good job. Yes! (laughs) I'm very proud of you guys. Each one of you got one. (laughs) So what's the prize? The prize is the yak is over and now we We get to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry, listeners, we do not mean that. We we love you. We we really enjoyed doing this yak. No, we are doing them a favor by leaving now. That, that is yeah, also exactly. true. We always quit while we're ahead, okay? <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, we would lose listeners. This is getting out of hand now, so... Well, that's... <laughs> if you wish to continue... Oh, we can cut that all out. That was... No way. <laughs> if you wish to continue your journey with us outside of the Yaks, you can follow us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. And if you want to follow us individually, you can find me at... Not now, Sayo. Which I almost forgot. And you can find me at Anisa Khalifa <laughs> underscore on Twitter. And you can find me, Borma, at Festa Fasta. And you can find us on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. And we are also on Facebook. Look us up there. 
just type dramas over flowers and you can check out our blog where we also write stuff and sai has been lately writing a lot of stuff too much stuff and that is at dramasoverflowers.net dramas over flowers is part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcast and that's it hey well done everybody Yay. we've made it to the end <laughs> of the night yes. and our tether and our sanity exactly. and our words thanks for listening despite all of good that good night <laughs> bye thanks everybody bye bye guys oh that was ah. what happened to- oh god uh, uh, <laughs> lost our minds